How many are you? How many of you are familiar with the term trust fall? You might know what a trust fall is. Yeah, trust fall. It's not a German word. Trust fall. It's, a, it's two words. What is it, Jeff? You're shaking your head. But in case you didn't hear what Jeff was talking about, a trust fall is something that people use sometimes in businesses or at Boy Scout camp or at some other thing. Uh, it's kind of a novelty, but it proves a very important point. And it shows how much you have trust in someone. And basically the way it works is you, as Jeff says, you cross your arms so there's no way you can support yourself when you fall. Either they put a blindfold on you or they have you close your eyes. And there's either one person or a group of people behind you and they tell you just to fall back. <laughs> well, the thing about that is it really, it really shows us that, you know, sometimes we say we trust somebody, but we really don't know if we trust them if, unless we're willing to completely let go and see what happens. I mean, that's, a, that's something that messes with your mind, the idea of just falling back into nothing with the hopes that there's going to be some arms to catch you there. Absolutely, absolutely. Because that's based on the premise that I have the ability to actually catch you. It's not so much that you don't trust me, is that do, do I have the physical ability to catch you? But still, huh? Oh, things can go wrong. Yeah, things can go wrong. But you trust me, I'm going to try to make them right, though, don't you? Oh, okay, all right. But, uh, you know, that really is, I don't know who first came up with a trust fall, but that's, you know, that's a pretty amazing exercise because that's where the rubber meets the road. If you say you trust your employees or you say you entrust your uh, troop mates or you say you're, uh, you know, whoever you come up with, that's really where the rubber meets the road. But when it comes to relationships, what are the two most important things? There's one thing that's the most important and the second thing is the second most important. If I was talking about relationships between people, what would you say the most important thing is? It's not a trick question. I'm not, you won't even be tested on this later. I would say that's the second. I think the first thing is love. Okay? I would go with love as the first thing. Uh, there's got to be love there before even any kind of trust can be built. I mean, don't you think so? Because, um, you know, true love in a relationship is wanting what's best for the other person, right? If you talk about Agape love in the New Testament is wanting what's best for the other person. And if you want what's best for the other person and the other person wants what's best for you, then you can start building up trust. Trust is very important in relationship. In fact, in some relationships, people can even claim to have love, but there's really not a whole lot of trust there. Uh, but in order for a relationship to really, really be the kind of relationship it needs to be, there's got to be love, but there's also got to be trust. For example, take the marriage relationship. A marriage relationship, you can have both spouses saying, Oh, I love you, honey, I love you, honey, I love you, honey. But if there's not trust there, I can tell you right now, that relationship's not going to last long. Um, a relationship that's going to last, a marriage that's going to last a long time, there has got to be trust. Um, I'm 100% trust and have my trust in Karen in the same way with me. Um, that's so very important. And that's obvious to see in a marriage relationship. But it's also important uh, in a parent-child relationship. Um, all my kids are now what they call the adult age. And so I don't do this much anymore. I don't think I've had to spank my kids in quite some time. But I tell you what, 
when they were younger, I wouldn't spake them very often. But if one of them lied to me, oh, if one of them lied to me, they knew that there was a day of reckoning coming. And sometimes it would be over something stupid, like whether they brush their teeth or not, brush their teeth or not. I don't know why kids can't figure out that a parent can't go up to the bathroom and touch the toothbrush and decide whether they brush their teeth or not. And I've done, and all my kids have done this for some reason. I say, did you brush your teeth? Oh, yes, Daddy, I did. And I walk in the bathroom, and that brush will be just as dry as it can be. And I said, are you sure you brushed your teeth? Oh, yes, Daddy, I brushed my teeth. And I said, listen, I'm going to give you one more chance. Did you brush your teeth? Oh, yeah. Well, where's the switch at? Because there's a lot of things I will put up with, but not being able to trust my children and knowing that they may lie to me, especially over something as stupid as brushing your teeth, that causes a relationship problem. And so we always emphasize in our family, I don't care what you have done or maybe have not done, as long as you tell me about it and don't lie to me about it, then we can always work it out. Because trust is such an important part of a relationship. And the same way with friendships, whether there's a relationship because of blood or a relationship because of marriage, there's also relationships between people who are just simply friends. And friendships are developed because people know they can trust one another. Yes, Jeff? And Jeff, you're exactly right. That once that very first time the trust is broken, it may take years to build that trust back um, because of the fact that there's always that second-guessing after that. Well, they've done it one time before. They might do it again. And we see all that in, in day-to-day life as far as marriage is concerned, as far as parent-child relationships are concerned, as far as friends are concerned. But tonight, if we're truly are going to have a relationship with God. It's based upon the same two principles. First of all, you've got to love God, but you also got to trust God. You've got to understand and appreciate the fact that you can always trust God. You're never, ever going to have the relationship you can possibly have with Him if you don't learn to trust Him. And we're going to be looking at a passage tonight, as I said, from the book of Proverbs. We're not going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the typical topic of this class, because of the fact that Frankie's teaching it, and I don't want to mess anything up he's teaching. But I do want to look at a passage that, uh, that Solomon wrote. Do you have to want to say? Yes, Frank. Um, but in order for us to ever truly have the kind of relationship with God that the Bible talks about is we've got to have a trust relationship with it. The Bible says a lot about faith. For example, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says that without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now think about that message for a moment. If we are ever going to be pleasing to God, it's important that we love him. It's important that we obey him. But if we really want to please God, we've got to have faith in him. We've got to trust him. And the passage goes on and says we have to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's all about trust. And so the only way to fully live Christianity to its fullest, the only way to have that abundant life that Jesus talks about, when he says I've come to give life and give it more abundantly, is to make sure not only do you love God, but you need to trust Him and trust Him completely. 
And that's what Solomon wants us to understand. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. And hopefully we'll get through these two verses tonight. I don't know why they put so much stuff in the Bible. We can't get through just a couple passages sometimes. It's just crazy, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, as we look at this passage tonight, we're going to see five different things in these verses. You may have looked at this verse before, or maybe this is the first time you've looked at it. But folks, there's a lot of meat in these two verses. In fact, there's five very big points in these verses. And as we go through these two verses, you're going to see a command, okay? You're going to see the degree of that command. You're going to see a prohibition. You're going to see a requirement. And you're going to see a reward. Okay? So there's five things in these two verses here. And they're there. And we're going to spend some time uh, talking about them. But looking at the verse, the very first thing that we see here in this proverb is a command. There's no doubt about it. It's not if, ands, or buts. It's something he is telling us to do. And the command is to trust in the Lord. Trust is the action. The object of that action is in the Lord. We, as God's people, need to trust in the Lord. And, of course, the Lord being used here in the Hebrews, the word Yahweh, this is talking about Jehovah God, and, of course, still applies in this day and age. We need to, to trust in the Lord. But I guess the first question we need to answer if we're going to fully carry out this particular command is we need to define what does it mean to trust? How, how, what does it mean to trust in the Lord? I mean, that's easy to say, but what does it mean? Yes, Karen. All right. Have confidence that he will do what he says he will do. Leave God over here just for a minute and think about a friend you may have or a spouse you may have or a child or a parent you may have. If you trust in that person, what does that mean? Believe in them, and why do you believe in them? There's something about your trust. There's something about that. All right, you love them, but still, I, I'm maybe I'm not leading down y'all down the right path. All right, they'll do what you ask them to. There's a word that we have that's called um, reliable or reliability. You can rely on that person, okay? True reliability means that no matter what happens, you know that person has got your back. You can rely on them. What were you going to say, Michael? Say trust in the Lord because it feels good. He doesn't say trust in the Lord because he's blessed you one day. He doesn't say trust in the Lord when things are going bad. All the time you're supposed to trust in the Lord. It's the idea we have a command of the uh, we have a command here. Now what's interesting, looking at the text and the Hebrew word, the word for trust here is an unusual word. The word makes a word picture. And that's the beautiful thing about both Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, 1912, not because you lived that long ago, but because you saw it in something. Anybody remember what happened on April 14th, 1912? Yeah, she's exactly right. On, that, on April the 14th, 1912, a ship by the name of the Titanic 
hit an iceberg, or there's some people who think there might have been a blown valve that caused the whole problem. We don't know for sure because it sunk. But anyway, and 1,500 people died. Now, they didn't die because the ship was not a good ship. They, they didn't die because there, there could have been the possibility of help coming. Most of them died was because so many people put so much trust in that ship, they didn't need to take the safety precautions that they needed to take. There was not enough lifeboats on that boat to save everybody. Why? Because this is the Titanic. It's unsinkable. We need to be careful about the route that we take up in this northern part of the North Sea uh, because there's icebergs up there. Oh, this is the Titanic. It won't sink. Guess what? It's sunk. Okay. Very good. All right, let's break down knowledge and experience. Let's break down knowledge, first of all. And Michael hit it on the head. The only way that we're going to come to a full knowledge of God in this day and age, because we don't live in the age of miraculous, God's not going to stand before us and talk to us directly. He talks to us through his word. That's how we find out what God wants us to do. It's his word. The only way we're going to have the knowledge that we need to fully trust him is we've got to spend some time studying his word. And as we study God's word, there are things in God's word that are more than just simply promises, but we have real live stories of real people who show us how they trusted God and what happened. For example, we can go to the book of Genesis, start around Genesis 21, and we read about a man by the name of Abraham. And God told Abraham that even in your old age, you're going to have a son. And um, eventually, he did have the promised son. His name was Isaac. What did God say to Abraham to do with that son? Sacrifice him. He said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and you take him up there on the mountain, and you sacrifice him to me. The way up there, Isaac said, well, where's the sacrifice? And can you imagine... I don't know if I could have told my son this. He said, he said, well, God will provide. And the Bible tells us that, that Abraham had the knife in his hand and was about to come down and run that knife through his son's heart, and the angel of the Lord stopped him. Now, that's more than just a story about an unusual event in the Bible. That's a story about trust. Abraham was going to take it all the way to the very bitter end because God told him to do it and he trusted that somehow or another God was going to make it all right. He might have thought, well, maybe he'll raise him from the dead. Or maybe he thought, well, he'll provide another son. Maybe, he, I don't know what he was thinking as the Bible doesn't tell us. But the point is, here's somebody that kept that passage to the letter of the law, if you will. To the point he was about to bring the knife down on his son. He was going to follow through what God said because he trusted God. If God said to do it, that's going to take care of it. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting at there in the very beginning of the book, you have example after example after example of people that because of their faith, because of the fact they trusted God, they did what God wanted to do, even if it meant they were going to die. They trusted in the Lord. No matter what the outcome was going to be, no matter what happened, they were going to trust in the Lord. Uh, we spent a lot of time 
several months ago on Sunday mornings talking about um, the book of Acts. And we got toward the end of the book of Acts and we looked at the life of the Apostle Paul, a man that went through so much for the spreading of the gospel. Uh, But yet, he didn't do that just because he enjoyed spreading the gospel. He did it because that's what God gave him a commission to do. And he trusted God that no matter what circumstances he faced in his life, God somehow or another was going to take care of him. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep me against that day. Uh, Paul trusted in the Lord. So in the Old Testament, you've got Abraham. In the New Testament, you've got Paul. It's the idea that... Um, God is someone we can trust. And that's where we get our knowledge from, that we can trust God. But we also get our knowledge about trusting from experiences. And how does one have experiences with God that helps build up this trust? Go ahead. Pray, okay. Pray, talk to God, and ask for, that you put your trust in Him, that He'll make sure that things work out all right. Um, yes, Beverly. Absolutely. I guess the best way to explain it is, we discover that even if we don't see it at the time, sometimes it takes maybe 10 years down the road. Maybe we don't see it right away. But we look back on it in the experiences of life, and maybe we call it providence, maybe we call it um, seeing God's invisible hand behind it all. But we know that because we put our faith and trust in God, that it worked out the best way that could possibly work out. And that's, you know, almost sounds like a placebo, if you will, because sometimes things don't always work out the way that we think they work up, should have worked out, and we'll never understand it till the other side of heaven. But yet, at the same time, our experience that can tell, tells us that if we put our faith and trust in God, then it's always going to be for the best. So in the same way we have relationships with one another, we have relationship with God. It's based upon knowledge, and we're going to discover that in His Word, and it's based upon our own experience, our personal experiences with dealing with God. When we put our trust in him, we know that the outcome is going to come to the very best. Any questions or comments? I'm almost starting to preach up here. Yes, Jeff. Those words of those three men always echo in my head. When they were asked about it, they always would say, our God is able to deliver us. Our God is able to deliver us. They didn't define what that meant. They could be like you just said. It might be in the fire. It might be later on, but God's going to deliver them. Yes, Fred. Absolutely. And there's people who, who claim they've done an awful lot on their own, but they really haven't. They're just not giving God the glory. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Start every morning that way. Who are you going to put your trust in? Um, share with you some words from a song that a guy by the name of uh, uh, Henry Goodman wrote. And y'all probably don't know who Henry Goodman is, but he's... <clears throat> been around a long time, he's dead now, but he's been a long time ago, he was a very popular Christian music singer, but anyway, he had some words in a song that I always think are very uh, appropriate when you maybe need some boosting up, but the song goes like this, I dreamed many a dream that never came true, I've seen them vanish at dawn, but enough of my dreams have come true to keep me dreaming on, I've trusted many a friend that's failed me and left me to weep alone. But enough of my friends have been so true blue to keep me trusting on. I've drained the cup of disappointment and pain and gone many a day without a song. But I've sipped enough nectar from the roses of life to make me want to live on. And I think that has an awful lot to do with putting our trust 
in the Lord. Well, let's look at, look at the rest of the, more of the past. I'm sorry. And, and, I, and I think that's the point I've been trying to drive is, regardless if it's because of a shortcoming of their own or whatever, people in this life are going to let us down. Sometimes, even the people who love us the most. But there's somebody who will never let us down. And that's God. And so we have the command here, trust in the Lord. I can't believe we've only got 10 minutes left. And I've got so much stuff here I want to talk to you about. But um, look at the degree he says to trust in the Lord. I'm going to have to start speeding up. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Folks, that don't leave a whole lot of wiggle room, does it? He doesn't say just trust in the Lord. He says trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Now, Scott in his class, he's been talking about the book of Deuteronomy and talking about how that we need to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. Well, guess what? We're supposed to trust God with our entire heart also. It's the idea that's being brought in in the text. I think it was Julie at the beginning of the class says that trust comes in degrees. There's some people I trust more than others. Uh, we talked about doing the trust fall at the beginning of class. There are some people that you probably would trust more to do the trust fall than somebody else. Because trust comes in degrees. That's just natural. But as I said, the text doesn't give us any wiggle room, wiggle room here. We have got to trust God completely. Yes, Julie? God is faithful. Absolutely. I believe that's Hebrews 10, 34 maybe. There's somewhere in Hebrews 10. I'm sorry, I can't. I think it off the top of my head. <clears throat> Absolutely. That is trust. And that's the point that he's making here. Um, it's, sometimes it's real easy to trust God. But he's talking about you need to trust God when it's not easy to trust God. When you can't see how in the world this is going to turn out any way but bad. For example, getting your head cut off. But you're still going to trust God. That's the point, you know, even when the roof caves in and the bottom falls out, he says, you still keep trusting God. Uh, I think all of us here are familiar with the book of Job, right? What's the basic premise of the book of Job? Here was a man who was living as righteous as any man. He was so righteous that God said to Satan, hey, look how good this guy is. He is the cream of the crop. But some bad things happened to him. Man, I can't imagine some of the things that happened to him. His children were all killed. All of his wealth was taken away. The man was covered up with boils to the point that he was taking pottery and just scraping his skin off. And then he had a wife that kept saying, well, curse God and die. Man, that makes it worse when your wife starts fussing at you too. Woman, I'm having enough going on. You want me to do this too? But you know what's amazing about the book of Job? All through the book, Job says, come on, God, give me one chance to talk to you about this. I want to know what's going on. Please tell me why this is happening. Well, you get to the end of the book of Job, that question is never, ever answered. All it's ever said is, Job, you be Job, I'll be God, and that takes care of it. He never, ever got his, the question answered, why do good people suffer? All God said is, I'm God. He proves it in a number of different ways. And, you know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? And that kind of thing. I'm God. You put your trust in me, Job, it'll all be okay. And that's what he's telling us to do in this text. He says, trust the Lord with all understanding. We need to strive to develop a trust in God that will sustain us through all situations, no matter what the world throws at us, is his point. It's never an on-again or off-again kind of trust. 
But then, because we're running out of time, notice the prohibition next. He says, and lean not on thy own understanding. It's interesting, the word in the Hebrew for the word lean is the word they use for the word crutch. You've all seen crutches, you know. The purpose of a crutch is to help pick, support you up. And so he's saying here in the text is don't let your own understanding, your own mental ability, your own thing, what you think is right, be your crutch to hold you up. And that's all it is, is a crutch. Because your own understanding and your own ability is never going to be enough. His point is, you need to let God be the one that you lean on. Somebody define for me practical atheism. What is practical atheism? You may not realize this, but I bet every single person here has been a practical atheist in their life at least once. All right. It's not letting God be God and letting yourself be God. In a sense, any time that you put yourself as the one who's in charge, you put yourself as the one who's going to figure it out, you put yourself as the one who's responsible for what's going to happen. In a sense, at that little point in time, you may not even realize it at the time, but you're basically saying there's no God. For that short period of time, you're the God. I'm in charge. I know what's best for me. I know how to take care of this situation. But this passage says right here, we can't practice practical atheism. We need to trust on the, on the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. Uh, sometimes we think we're so smart that we are smarter than God, that we know better than God, that we have a better plan than God. That's not the case. In fact, he gives us a special requirement beginning at verse 6. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He's emphasizing once again that we need to make sure that we acknowledge him. Now, that word is an interesting word. Even in the English language, we, we don't fully, sometimes don't understand when we say something, when we say the word acknowledge. But the word at its root means something that's very important. If I was to acknowledge Michael right now, what have I done? I recognize him, first of all, okay. What's that? I might have lifted him up by my, my acknowledgement, but by acknowledging him, I might have torn him down too, because he might ought to be acknowledged by me. <laughs> but acknowledgement at its root word means you're saying that that person is in my presence. Like if I say, oh, it's good to have Michael here with us tonight, because I've already started on Michael. I'm acknowledging his presence. That's what the word means. That's what I'm saying. We don't always know what that word really means, but acknowledge means my knowledge tells me he is here. Okay? So if the text says, as it says, he says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, what is it telling us to do? What is it saying about God? All right, he's always with us. I'm saying that he is always in my presence. No matter where I go, God is always there. Whether you know, I'm here in worship service or whether I'm home, he's there. Whether it's the middle of the day or at night, he's there. He's always going to be there. And if you have that understanding and feel that way, you, under, you get more of the idea of what the writer Solomon is wanting us to see here. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We lean not on our own all. And our own understanding, but in everything we do, in all thy ways, in everything that we do, we're recognizing the fact that his presence is with us. I love Psalm 23. And um, I could, anytime, 
stand before you and preach an hour-long sermon on Psalm 23. Because I know that psalm inward and outwards and backwards. But of course, the favorite verse of that particular psalm is a very important part of the verse, and I've said it at many a funeral. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. The thing that scares people the most is death. And the reason why it does is because it's something that we've never experienced. No one's been able to tell us what it's like to die. Nobody knows what it's like to die. Even those people in the Bible that were resurrected from the dead by Jesus or other people, they never told us anything what it was like. They didn't tell us about meeting relatives or seeing a bright light or any of that kind of stuff. They didn't say anything at all about it. So we don't have no real experience from a spiritual standpoint, from a scriptural standpoint, what it's like to die. And that's scary. But the psalmist says that even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear anything. Why? Because God is with us. And that's the idea about this particular text, is that he is always going to be in our presence. Uh, there's an old story. Man, we're, I've already run out of time, so I'm going to have to stop here. Maybe stop with this story. Story's always a good way to stop. Um, there's an old story about Oliver Cromwell. I don't know if you all know who Oliver Cromwell is. But he was the liberator of England for a while, they thought. He was more of a dictator than anything. Um, what would you say? He was Lord Protector, Karen says. She's one of these history teachers, you know. But anyway, the story is told many years ago. He was traveling to some country as an ambassador for some reason. And back then, people, the servant of the, of the person and what they call his body man or whatever you want to refer to it, would sleep in the same room as the, the person in charge or the, the king or the dictator or whatever. And for some reason, Oliver Carmel was having an awful hard time sleeping that night and kept tossing and turning to the point that his servant woke up. And his servant said, Sir, what is wrong? Why can't you sleep? And he talked about all these different worries that he had. And the servant in his wisdom said, Well, sir, did the Lord or God rule the world before you were born? And he said, Well, most certainly. And is the Lord going to rule the world after you die? Well, most certainly. And then he said, Well, sir, why don't you let him rule today? And the point was, you know, why don't you let him be in charge and quit worrying about the things that you're worrying about? But anyway, the kids are coming in, and I'm sorry I didn't get as far into this as I want to. The verses were just too long. I don't know what we're going to do about this. But anyway, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. Thank you.